Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm J.W. Marshall as always and today's guest is Kahoot Learning's very own Warren Kennard. He is the MD of Kahoot Academy and he has been in the EdTech space for a number of years and we're very excited to have him online with us today. Warren, great to have you. Yeah, lovely to lovely to have this conversation. Thanks so much, JW. Absolutely. And so I'll let you begin by just uh, introducing yourself to our audience, um, as well as telling us a little bit about the Kahoot Academy, and then we'll jump into some questions. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to to have a chat with you this morning, or my morning at least. Um, <laughs> so uh, we um, do. I'm I'm principally focused on on two things, JW. It's uh, the Qt Academy, as you mentioned. I'm the managing director um, there, and we're building out a series of programs in workforce capability development, and and we do this at scale online. Um, and then a second hat that I wear is I'm uh, the founder of a project called Connect Ed, which is um, building a conversational course in ed tech and higher education strategy um, for, for higher education professionals. So those are the two areas that I'm principally focused on right now. Perfect. And tell us just a little bit more about what that means of workforce capability services. How, how does that look day to day? Yeah, great question. And um, what what we do is is somewhat unique. And and I guess you you get many of your guests saying the same thing. And there's uh, many people pr- um, uh, purporting to to be doing something incredibly unique. But what we've managed to do is to take what is commonly known as a, a small private online course. So a um, in the literature referred to as a SPOC. And we've condensed that even further into a, a micro uh, learning um, experience for working professionals at scale, but being able to do that in a people-mediated, conversational-style learning experience. And and what I mean by that, and I realize that it's, it's a fair mouthful, <laughs> but what we've been uh, focused on is online learning, for starters. What we recognized um, very early on is that the problem with online learning, by and large, is that the engagement levels aren't where they need to be. So we see that there's a, a, a heck of a lot of people that start out on a program uh, and then um, drop off the program uh, very soon thereafter or, or or very few get through to the end of the program, as it were, with the, the massive open online courses. And what we found was the special ingredient that makes all of the difference is the ability to have conversations with people, to um, introduce them to their peers and fellow students, and to get them to engage and collaborate. And we've got a very novel um, proprietary built um, learning management system that allows us to introduce incredible collaborative learning um, tools and and ways of of learning and engaging with one another. And together with the facilitator and subject matter experts, we create this um, wonderful and exciting dynamic learning experience, which is engaging, it's short, um, but but delivers incredible capability improvement uh, over time. And is that mostly uh, at the corporate level, at the higher ed level? What what type of 
Yeah, I'm sorry to confuse the issue right at the outset. So I have a, a passion in my background has been around higher education and I kind of morphed my uh, career into workforce development um, about 10 years ago and started playing in the online capability development for, for working professionals. So there's a bit of a, a, a kind of a mixing of the two worlds, as it were, where I have a keen fascination for the future of higher education and its intersection with industry, but that's very much on, on the end of the, the Connect Ed spectrum. And for the work that we do at Kahoot Learning, it's very much about the professional workforce, a large scale enterprise. We, we work with um, significant size organizations like uh, Rio Tinto and the Australian government and, and uh, a large scale um, international organizations that are upskilling large cross sections of their audience uh, of their workforce. Um, and this is typically in kind of junior to senior management. Um, and we are trying to offer that group of people a wonderful online uh, experience where this was traditionally the, the, the holy grail for your senior executives who were getting a, um, a great experience on, on one of the platforms, be it a Udacity experience or be it something at Get Smarter. And we wanted something that um, would cater for for the mass audience, but deliver something of quality to them, and and not just uh, something that's a point and click environment um, through an e learning, a traditional e learning type experience. Absolutely, and that seems to make sense that you would have both of those passions because it seems in our experience that a lot of the issues that need to be addressed in the upskilling were deficiencies at the university level. Uh, yes. Some of the studies out there will say up to 75% of employers don't feel that their uh, recent graduates have the skills necessary to succeed in the workplace. Are you seeing that trend as well? And is there any hope? Is it going to get better? <laughs> well, that's yes, absolutely. We are seeing that trend. And, and that's uh, one of the principal fascinations for, for the ConnectEd project is to, is to also introduce um, ways of solving and, and mitigating some of those challenges. And I mean, we're seeing significant movements on the horizon. If you look at the work um, being done by AWS, um, and if you have a look at the recent announcements by, by by Google um, entering this um, this fray, we we seeing the movement of micro credentials um, coming to the fore, and this is really to support um, those that have already got a formal undergraduate qualification or have previously had some college, but have now um, wanting to upskill and be able to pivot their career and to adjust to the rapidly changing society around them. So I know I'm conflating a few um, kind of topics there, but yeah. Yes, I would love to to see a tighter integration with with industry and academia through kind of industry credentials being embedded into the program. And there's there's many um, wonderful people that are speaking on this topic. Um, but at the same time, what we're also seeing is the desperate need to upskill people in um, general capability, not necessarily specific um, skills that they need for changing roles or pivoting careers and so on, but rather to, to upskill them in areas of um, contemporary ways of working, of looking at um, enterprise skills and these critical thinking, problem solving, um, resilience training, adapt, uh, adaptability. Uh, those 
those kinds of skills are also desperately needed if we're to thrive in in the industrial age that we're entering um, this this fourth industrial age, as as it were. Well, and speaking of that transition, could you speak a little bit towards the the trend towards this type of learning and how has that been affected in the last six months uh, with the the coming of the pandemic? Yeah, so the pandemic has has obviously put everything um, into accelerator mode, uh, and and for good reason. Um, you know, we we're finding in, in certainly in the Australian context, but but globally that the provision of skills in a in a face to uh, or, or sorry, not the provision of skills, but the um, ability to uh, train and and equip people with with capability improvement and and uh, and skills development has has naturally gone online uh, as a result of not being able to move around as as freely as we would like. And so we've been inundated with requests at our organization to support um, others in uh, transforming curricula that was um, previously face-to-face and then to mold that into an online learning experience. And we've seen an, a huge um, number of organizations that are needing to continue their training, um, be it in remote workforce training, in, in the ability to, uh, as I said, have adaptable leadership, to, to be resilient, um, to look at the, the base level industrial 4.0 um, kind of skills that one needs to thrive in in this era um, being delivered online. So we are seeing a, a rise of, of interest at the same time, we are also seeing budgets being heavily compromised as a result of the uncertainty in the market. And so there's this double-edged sword where it's a desperate need, um, while at the same time, um, the, the budgets are put under under enormous strain. So, um, yeah, I know there was another part to your question, but um, it would be lovely to, to get into that. No, that that's actually leads me to my next question. Um, what do companies often get wrong or what common mistakes do they make as you said taking what they were doing on site training and trying to digitize that into an online experience it's not a one-to-one transition what are some of the things that maybe our listeners can watch out for yeah that's a wonderful question and and we're seeing this at scale um probably it's the biggest trend in in online learning right now is We've uh, in the U.S. certainly they're referring to it as remote learning, um, where students are are really just continuing their face-to-face experience in an online mode via Zoom and and other kinds of um, tools and technologies to enable that transition. Um, and we certainly wouldn't classify that as as online learning. The next evolution, as it were, is going to be how do we transition the current experiences that that we're delivering face-to-face in an online mode at scale. And and uh, that question hasn't been fully answered, uh, of course. But what I can say with certainty is that it requires a, a high degree of skill to be able to convert an existing program um, online. It, it's not a, a very simple exercise um, of converting materials into an online mode. There's many factors that one needs to take into account. And there's two principal things that that we look at in particular. The one is that we don't uh, at Kahoot Learning we we don't offer a um, asynchronous experience, being one that much more analogous 
access to the MOOC environment where you would um, enter your program, uh, you know, get peppered with a whole bunch of, of, of content and, and maybe some exercises and activities to do, but very little engagement with, with a cohort. And, and you can pretty much start that course and, and end it um, at, at a time that's appropriate for you. So there's very little um, degree of engagement. The Kahoot model, on the other hand, is on the other end of the spectrum, where the um, the engagement and the ability to converse and, and challenge one another and to interrogate ideas um, is at the forefront of the way that we design our learning. And then there's everything um, in between. So um, what I would, um, in answer to your question more specifically, the, the pitfalls are that one needs to decide whether this is going to be an experience that somebody can do asynchronously and, and have a kind of more point and click environment where they're needing to absorb certain materials, um, understand certain concepts, and then be able to demonstrate that um, maybe on their own. Or does this need to be uh, an experience whereby you're engaging with peers, you want that dynamic um, kind of classroom hybrid experience, um, and then you need a proprietary system like a Kahoot, um, the, the platform that we use is a, is a proprietary system, or you would need some kind of system that has high levels of an, uh, ability to engage your audience. And that might be at an early stage, a high, a, a combination of tools, be that uh, Teams and in incorporating that with some other technologies that um, like a Slack channel, for example, that can run in the background that's aggregating um, a lot of the, the conversational threads. So there's, there would often be a need for a multitude of tools if you don't have a um, proprietary system that can serve this need. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what we're starting to see a lot of trainings move to is a, a hybrid approach where there is maybe some on-demand foundational uh, work to be done, but you can't replace the interactions with an instructor or with a group, a peer group, um, to yes. really get to the heart of learning. And so it seems like that's the, the direction that we're moving in pretty quickly. Um, as far yes. as the live co interactive components, obviously it can range greatly, uh, but we're not necessarily seeing that eight hours of live instruction in person was ever a good idea anyways. Um, but then to move eight hours of instruction a full day to online, uh, are you seeing some companies still trying to do that full day or are they breaking it up into uh, one hour or two hour chunks? Um, we're always trying to get a feel for, for what's kind of working and not working as far as time on task in some of these online environments. Yeah, there's there's two things I will answer to that. Um, the first is absolutely there is this uh, perception that you know we we did it as a as a full day workshop, so let's maybe do it as uh, two half day sessions online, <laughs> and and this doesn't work. Um, it's it well it it delivers what the organization wanted to deliver, but it doesn't deliver the outcomes that they want. I think that's that's the the key distinction. So what we typically use as a yardstick is to say that if you were going to deliver an an hour uh, um, a kind of a, a half day session or even a full day session where you have your tea breaks in between and your lunch and your your kind of conversation in between, we would generally 
translate that into approximately a week of online learning. So one day typically, uh, or one half day, um, two full day kind of translates into one day or uh, one week of, of online learning. So if you were running a, a, a two day workshop or whatever, that would generally scaffold out to two to three weeks. And what is so particularly good about that is that the, the part that's often where the learning happens is in the reflection. So the opportunity for a person to engage in some of the material, engage with some of their peers online, and then to go and take a walk around the block and, um, you know, or go for their daily run. And some of that stuff is going to, uh, some of that learning material that they've, they've absorbed is going to be um, sticking in their head. They're going to be tossing it around. They're going to be thinking and, and cogitating over it for a period of time. And then they will have the opportunity to regroup um, and, and re-engage their audience and have a much more fulfilling learning experience that, that leaves much longer, um, uh, longer uh, lasting impact as far as that learning is concerned. So while we still see it in answer to your question, the, the very much the, the philosophy of replicating the exact experience offline uh, in, in a face-to-face -face mode online, we are seeing that. It's incredibly difficult to do um, effectively. And so we would normally protract that out for a period of weeks. And, and with the Kahoot Academy, we've um, particularly found this, this period of three weeks. Our short programs are three weeks. They're approximately 10 hours of, of notional study. Um, so it's approximately two to three hours per week. And there's some synchronous elements. So we have some webinars and some live chats that are built in with the SMEs. Um, so the subject matter experts that are delivering that content. Um, and we, we obviously make those available as recordings to students who aren't able to attend um, the live in-person experience. But we found that this three weeks, this 21 days in which to formulate that habit and to implant that skill is seeing wonderful results for the courses that, that we deliver. And, and, and again, I go back to, sorry for, for continuing on this thread, but there's the, the, the important differentiator here is the technology itself. So the, the system that we use is, as I mentioned, a proprietary system. Um, if you are you are able to replicate that experience that we have um, with disparate systems and and pulling a few different things together, um, but we are just very mindful of how effective that learning uh, the experience is for the learner. Um, so having it in a seamless uh, one one place that the the student can engage their learning. And the second part is the metrics that you can pull out of the the system when you have a a, a one stop shop as it were, as opposed to these disparate systems which are very difficult to to get the information out and create a 360 view of how effective your learning was. And I have to say, I've asked that question in some form to quite a few guests, and that may be the best answer that we've uh, received so far, that uh, in general terms, one full day of on-site training is best over that one-week period. And I really like the idea of the reflection time. Uh, we believe wholeheartedly at market scale in micro learning modules and you know five ten fifteen minute segments that could be done you know over a number of days or a number of weeks uh, and there's always yes. that tendency to want to binge on them if they're good and engaging <laughs> yes. and do them all in one day and you do lose a little bit of that um that reflection that uh you know time mm. to process and and converse and build that scaffolding over time and connect the dots. Um, I know sometimes that's uh, what needs to be done for the content or for the the specific uh, you know course. But I really like that answer um, for no matter what systems you use um, to really rethink um, how that 
content is going to be processed in this new way. Um, yes. Kind of a, as a part of that question, there seems to also be a really, I believe this is kind of the beginning of the golden age of learning, online learning, but learning in general. And there's a movement towards personalized and adaptive learning. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on that movement and how that's going to play out here in the, the short term as well as in the long term? Yeah, and this is this is a great question, and and it's something that I I don't think my answer is going to be. Um, it may be unique in this sense. There's there's this a very big um, trend towards trying to get better personalization and adaptive learning and so on for the individual, and and I suppose it's it's counterintuitive for the work that we do. So we are on the other end of the spectrum. Firmly believe that um, people learn from one another. And we are adamant that when you come into a learning experience, that you have a, a wealth of skills and expertise and, and insights and knowledge that is going to help and support others in their learning experience. So, so I think this is the fundamental difference between the adaptive leadership, uh, sorry, the adaptive um, kind of learning movement and, and the personalization to the to the extreme opposite, which is to look at how do we learn and engage from one another together with the facilitator, uh, a facilitator and expert that's supporting that learning experience. So they they two ends of the spectrum. And where I see the benefit of of adaptive um, learning and certainly um, the the kind of more personalized learning tracks is when you are looking at highly technical skills, um, things that one needs to be able to um, become more adept in over time. And that's things like if we took an example like mathematics, if you're able to do a personalized track and adaptive learning specifically to your ability to understand mathematics better and apply some of those principles, then it makes perfect sense for you to do that in isolation and to really trawl into areas that you were um, not very good at and that the system is intelligent enough to surface the kinds of questions that would help you to better your understanding of the things you don't understand. On, that's that's wonderful for those very specific vertical tracks. When one needs to learn um, a, a concept like leadership, or if somebody's looking at um, how to be an effective storyteller, or if you're looking at um, things like management or economics or whatever it is that's more a generalist kind of subject, the personalization and the adaptability of that learning we feel is best on the other end of the spectrum where you're learning um, through the experience of others. Absolutely, and it makes sense that that's a higher form of learning, uh, that you get the prerequisite skills necessary, but then to really put them together that would require that that collaboration, that self-reflection, um, which is great. Uh, you mentioned earlier about um, the metrics. And so uh, maybe specific to what you do or just in general, what metrics should uh, companies be looking at for engagement, for effectiveness? Yeah, so the as I mentioned before, the proprietary system certainly allows us to track and, and measure every keystroke and and uh, we can pretty much record anything, um, be it be it time on page, be it um, the degree of engagement one is receiving to a particular um, activity versus another. So uh, we, we really go uh, 
uh, to town on uh, as far as the data analytics is concerned and then we we compile sophisticated reports on the back end and we track about 15 different activities in the platform that we classify as an engagement score so we we tally those all up and create an engagement score that is then um, uh, surfaced to the students themselves so they can see how they're faring relative to their cohort and and so on and so forth I think the broader question around what things we should be tracking, I mean, I would ultimately say that we would like to track as much as humanly possible. Um, engagement uh, on uh, in the main, when I look at the traditional learning management systems and, and so on that are out there, and even the proprietary ones, most people are, are um, tracking how many likes, um, how many comments uh, a particular thread is, is getting, um, and they're checking time on uh, a time on the website um, they're checking uh, what times of day these these individuals are coming in what devices they're using so there is a great deal of analytics happening around uh, most of the traditional systems i think for us we're we're just in the fortunate position that it is our code base and we're we're really able to um, ad nauseum uh, review all of the criteria that are important for our for our design I think just being more specific about one particular area, and that's looking at the course design itself. Um, we track how the activities um, are, uh, so the responses to that activities that we've developed in our courses, we're checking to see whether that's in line with our curriculum design. So we're able to check um, video consumption based on, uh, and then on top of that, looking at the conversational threads that are coming off the back of that, how many posts, how much engagement and activity is happening around that particular feature. And then also to look at um, kind of the experience of those students. We've got a uh, an AI that's built into the system that looks at sentiment analysis. So it's tracking to see whether these are positive sentiments or negative sentiments for the facilitator to be able to better hone in on the areas that are maybe causing students some concern um, or where they're struggling. So we we really believe that everything needs to be tracked. Um, and, and this is obviously one of the, the detriments of, of some of these bigger systems where um, you're not able to, to go to that level of granularity in terms of what, what students are doing on the platform. And, and I love that you've kind of gone the direction of instructional design. Obviously, that's a big um, component of our podcast uh, in a lot of weeks. And I think what we've also seen and would like your input on is a really a transition from learning outcomes to performance outcomes, to not just measure what a person knows, but can they perform that skill? Can they demonstrate? Can they participate in a group conversation that leads to uh, becoming a better leader, things like that. Um, I know that's de dependent on the client and on the curriculum more so than the platform, but have you seen that, especially with some of your larger enterprise um, clients, uh, shifting away from just you need to know these things and pass a test to you really need to be able to demonstrate that you've gained the skill and can perform it? Yeah, this is this is probably the the single biggest thing that that we've noticed the the change in. So I think you you've outlined a wonderful point. And yes, the demonstration of capability is is absolutely paramount. And you've mentioned that it's not necessarily systemic, which is which I agree with. Um, you you don't necessarily need to demonstrate that within the system or use a system to demonstrate that. Um, but the ability to be able to perform a particular function is is far more important than the ability to 
get a, a reasonable test score. Um, so in in our courses, uh, we we very much about the applied learning and the ability to demonstrate your um, your success or, or or skill that you've developed. And so just using a hypothetical example, or not um, just one of the examples, is in our adaptive leadership course. For example, when we're speaking about persuasive communication and your ability to um, uh, uh, communicate a particular topic effectively, we will have um, a student post uh, a presentation or a conversation that they've done with another student and then have that facilitator mediate that conversation. And so we also very conscious to do uh, introduce it early on and, and to be able to get kind of a pre-assessment of where that student is at. And then at the end of the course, if it was just to, to consider the communication, we would revisit that at the end of the course to, to measure that improvement um, and, and also have that measured by their peers. So it's not just um, you know, the, the facilitator or the, the subject matter expert who's doing that assessment, but it's also your peers um, as, a, as a, a rounding out of that experience. So, but I've, I've labored on this point a, a little bit too long, but it's, it's basically the biggest movement we're seeing is the ability to demonstrate that capability versus um, just being able to have a tick box exercise for all of our customers. Absolutely. And final question on this. Um, here at MarketScale, we're also all about scaling. And I know you work with some large enterprise uh, businesses. I have to say, I have a very good friend of mine that I was speaking with recently that is uh, going to be using Kahoot uh, upcoming. Uh, she works with uh, first responders around the world and uh, helping to train them on uh, how to deal with trauma and things of that nature. It's a wonderful program. And they were going on site around the world, and now that's been uh, relegated to online. Um, and there are some drawbacks to that, of course, but there are also some some advantages in that they can now offer this program on a much larger scale to uh, learners that may never have been able to afford or make the travel arrangements to attend an on-site training with them. And so is that another trend I'm assuming that you're starting to see out there is the, the accessibility, the uh, scale that uh, companies can reach their you know, new learners that they've never reached before. Um, how is that playing out under the, the recent shift in the pandemic? Yeah, so uh, affordability and accessibility is absolutely key. Um, and so we're in the Kahoot world, we we work on a, a cohort-led learning experience, which which as we mentioned before, is kind of having a, a start and an end date, um, and so that uh, of your of your learning experience. So so that part of um, the business is. Uh, uh, it's not as um, infinitely scalable as, as an asynchronous experience where you've got a, kind of a MOOC style uh, experience. So we're, we're still seeing enormous ability to, to scale and, and that's always been a, a challenge for, for organizations like us to, to enable that scale. But we do uh, thousands of, of students, so that's very possible to, to scale that out really well. And then from an affordability point of view, yes, we, we're seeing that things need to be a lot more affordable, a lot shorter, um, a lot sharper, and, and for those um, capabilities to be developed um, in, in a much shorter time frame um, in an effective way. So the return on investment is key. Our, our courses are, are very affordable. We are set at the base level um, market um, as opposed to, to your high end um, kind of experiences that you can find elsewhere. Perfect. That's really exciting. Um... 
one last question. I know we said we would circle back to ConnectEd uh, one last time and just give us what do our what does our audience need to know about ConnectEd? What is exciting about it, and and where is it going? Yeah, well. Thanks for, for that. I, um, the connected experiences is something uh, very unique. We, we understand that the higher education environment uh, is going through all, all sorts of weird and wonderful challenges at this stage. Um, there's, uh, I, I won't go into them, but we, we're mostly aware of the, the, the seismic macro challenges that are affecting higher education today. Um, this course is a conversational style course, um, and what we mean by that is it, it requires high level of participation and engagement, and we're talking about the thorny issues that are impacting our sector across a, a, a series of verticals, be that um, you know the commercial elements, the marketing elements, the, the leading of these organizations, the teaching and learning aspects, the digital transformation in, in higher education. And so we go on this journey together uh, together with a series of, of professionals um, that have been very generous with their time and, and afforded us the opportunity to share their insights and are also helping students to, to navigate and to build a strategy uh, for success for their organization. So it's, a, it's the um, intersection of technology and um, higher education and how we can accelerate, amplify and advance the sector's capability to better service the needs of students, um, both now and tomorrow, and, and also looking at that workforce um, of higher education and how we can upskill them so that they can offer better uh, learning experiences for, for young people today. And that sounds like it's going to be a future episode of our podcast dedicated just <laughs> to diving into all of those topics, because I'm sure they're going to continue to change and evolve uh, as the fall goes on here in 2020. Uh, I want to thank uh, Warren one more time uh, for joining the podcast today. Yeah, well, it's been absolutely wonderful to have the, the conversation and I, I look forward to subsequent ones. And to all of our, and to all of our listeners out for, thank you for joining us and remember to always keep learning.